Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 330 of the podcast. It's January 29th, 2019. Joining me today is Christoph Rozier. He's a professor of production management at the Karlsruhe University of Applied Sciences in Germany. He has decades of experience with lean manufacturing, including time working for Toyota in Japan as a consultant at McKinsey & Company and as a lean expert and manager at Robert Bosch. He earned a PhD from the University of Massachusetts. He's the author of the book, Faster, Better, Cheaper in the History of Manufacturing, From the Stone Age to Lean Manufacturing and Beyond. You can, I definitely recommend that you check out uh, his, his really uh, outstanding blog, allaboutlean.com, because today's podcast and the discussion was really sparked by a series of blog posts that he published there at allaboutlean.com, blog posts about what he called his grand tour of automotive factories in Japan. So if you want to get links to that, if you want to read some of those or his overview blog post. Uh, before you listen, or maybe you, you, you're intrigued by some of the highlights that, that Christoph shares here, um, you can go read those afterwards. And, and you can find links to all of that by going to leanblog.org slash 330. So we'll talk about some of the differences in the Japanese factories. And we'll also talk about the idea, I think kind of a, a provocative idea that Christoph wrote about in one of his posts about how Toyota CEO Akio Toyota is creating, or he, how he fears that uh, they're creating a culture of what he calls yes men. And he, he's afraid that um, the, there, there are problems developing with the Toyota culture. So we'll talk about all of that and more. Again, go to leanblog.org slash 330, and thanks for listening. Christoph, hi. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast. How are you today? Doing very well. Pleasure to be on your blog. Yeah, and uh, you're, you're coming to us uh, from, from what city in, in Germany? Uh, what, what university? Um, well, you know. my university is in Karlsruhe, which is the southwest corner of Germany, but I actually live very close to Frankfurt, and right now I am in Frankfurt in my home office. Well, I'm glad the technology allows us to um, compare notes and, and we're, we're talk about some of your experiences and trips to Japan and uh, journeys into healthcare um, here in the podcast. But you know, I always like to ask a guest, you know, if you can just tell a little bit of your career story. Um, some of the things you've done, and, and how and when did you first get introduced to Lean or the Toyota production system? Well, I got to Lean pretty much by accident. Um, I was studying engineering as an undergrad in Germany. I did an internship in Australia for six months. I did my PhD in America for four years. And after that, I wanted to spend more time abroad. And I wanted to go to a country which is as different as possible from Europe and America, which is very similar after all. Mm. So I applied for jobs in Japan and I sent out different applications and I got only one offer and that was from the Toyota Central Research and Development Laboratories. And so I decided, sure, why not? I know the company, so that's a bonus. So I went to Japan and worked for them for four years. And when, before I went there, I didn't even know about Lean. But of wow. course, after four years at Toyota, I've learned a lot about Lean. I've done a lot of research on 
lean-related topics, supply chain management on bottleneck detection is one of my focus areas. And of course, I was able to experience all the deep insights of Toyota by just being a normal employee about all the things they do, how they behave, how they tick. And it was a very unique experience. And I'm very glad I could do this. Yeah. Um, and were you working as an engineer in a variety of settings uh, and, uh, you know, production or product development or other, other areas? It was a research lab. The Toyota Central Research and Development is more for basic research. They do materials testing. They do also some part of product development. But of course, the main development is at Toyota Motor. And my part was researching new ways on material flow, bottleneck yeah. detection, supply chain, uh, network of different uh, factories. That was my focus area. So very closely related to Lean, actually. Yeah, yeah. I would be curious how consistent the Toyota way is, uh, you know, outside of factories, how, cons you know, how consistent the, the culture and the leadership style is outside of manufacturing. What, what, are your, what are your thoughts or what were your perceptions of that? Well, I had a very good boss and I'm still in contact with him, uh, Professor Masado Nakano. He's now a professor and I really enjoyed working for him. But overall at Toyota, it's a very consistent focus on improvement. Like um, on regular intervals, we did improvement activities. To give you one example, uh, once per year we walked through the entire office and looked for uh, ways to make it earthquake safe or safer. And um, yeah, it was a very structured approach. But what also um, in retrospect was for me a great experience is that I worked there for five years and I was never blamed for anything. Mm. Now, if you work in a German company, uh, getting blamed is kind of a daily thing, and 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 I think I think more broadly that that seems to be human nature. Um, to be fair uh, to to your fellow Germans, right? Yes, but in Japan it seems to be much much less so, and I really enjoyed the time. Of course, I had a little bit of the benefit of a foreigner, so I did not have to follow all the exact rules of Japanese society. Um, but it was a great and wonderful time, and I'm a big fan of Toyota ever since. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in, in my brief visits, I mean, you know, you, as you were saying, you spent four years there. I've made four trips that were each approximately 10 days long, and, and the people facilitating those tours emphasize that as much as Japanese society values harmony and, and fitting in and not sticking out, uh, they... they, yeah. they they, they, they will excuse, they might not like it, but they, they're more willing to excuse the behavior of a foreigner who basically doesn't know any better. I, mean, I, yes. I think we try to be, we try to be good visitors and, and good guests there, but I think there's times, you know, coming from different yes. cultures, we, we, you know, we, we're just going to behave differently. And then, you know, physically, I mean, there's no hiding <laughs> the fact that you stick out. Yeah. So Japanese culture is actually very, almost oppressive for Japanese. You have to fit in or you're an outcast. So the pressure to fit in is enormous. And actually, when I went for half a year to Japan last winter, I did some interviews too. I asked Japanese people, I asked Japanese women who returned from abroad back to Japan about their reverse culture shock. Mm. And the feedback was pretty much unanimous. 
it's horrible. Um, in Japan, it's much more restrictive, much more controlling, much, much more pressure to fit in. And uh, pretty much all women but one said they preferred the other countries much, much more. Hmm. The lone exception was a lady which came back from Saudi Arabia. So Japan is better than Saudi Arabia for women. Mm. Well, and and I, yeah, the, um, the it seemed like there's still very traditional expectations in, yes. in Japan in terms of, of, of career paths. And it still seems like there's pressure for women or an expectation that they'll leave the workforce. Um, after having children, my, my wife um, you know, went to a very global uh, MBA program in, in the U.S. And when I've been in Japan, I've, I've met up with um, you know, two of her classmates, one of whom is very entrepreneurial and, um, and, and his you know, work doesn't have the, the typical what they say salary man or I guess we would say salary woman um, career yes. path. And then one of her other classmates is married and has children and is still, you know, rising through the ranks of a, a telecom company that she's been with her whole career, which, and that also seems like a very Japanese thing to do, but, you know, so it seems like there's some progress, but you, you mentioned your most recent visits. Um, you, you point out in some of your plant tour reports that the percentage of female employees in a lot of these auto plants is still very low. Um, yes. Can you elaborate on, on some of that. Um, and, and, what your observations were. Um, yeah, it's, well, in automotive plants, it's especially the assembly lines, it's still a lot of physical work. And I've seen ladies, and I've seen ladies which did uh, quite a stunning amount of work carrying heavy parts, but it is physically demanding, and it's a lot of uh, pressure on speed and physical activity. Mm -hmm. And uh, as for the office settings, the managerial management positions. Um, the traditional way, which is sl only slowly changing, the tra traditional way is that a woman is supposed to do some secretarial tasks, serve tea, and eventually marry one man from the company and then drop out of the workforce and take care of the children. So it's very difficult for women to have a, or it's, it's more difficult for women to have a career in Japan, and many women are kind of forced out of the workforce, or um, another woman was reprimanded because she didn't schedule her baby according to the demands of the factory. Oh, goodness. Uh, wow. Gave birth at an inconvenient time for the company. And also things are still very common. I do have to point out before we think of Japanese women as very oppressed, at home it's completely a different setting. The woman at home traditionally takes control of the entire finances, takes the entire salary, and gives her husband a pocket money if he is nice. <laughs> so it's uh, very split, uh, but at home, the woman wears the pants. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear some of your thoughts on, on Toyota, because as I've you know, talked to people I've met who have worked at other Japanese companies and um, you know, tried to read about Japanese business culture, uh, and, and you know, it seems like Toyota, um, obviously as a company with Japanese roots, you know, has had influences uh, from other countries, and it seems like it's really uh, inaccurate for people to say, oh, well, Toyota is successful because they're a Japanese company. It seems like their culture is, is something that they've intentionally tried to create uh, to, have, to have a different culture. So I'm curious 
hear your thoughts on that and, and even within the realm of the Japanese automakers, since you've done a lot of comparative study, um, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? So Japanese culture has some unique, let's call it twists or structures. And um, a lot of them are somewhat beneficial for manufacturing. Uh, one thing is that the Japanese have a very high risk regard for ma uh, manual labor and craftsmanship and uh, a very, very high work ethics. The Germans pride us also on our high work ethics, but we pale in comparison to Japan. In Japan, everybody wants to be the best. And if you, if you only change the trash bags and the trash can, you want to be the best trash bag changers there is. Mm. So it's a very great pressure and drive towards perfection. And or for example, one anecdote, I was flying from Tokyo to Fukuoka, a local plane in Japan, and it didn't have this in-seat monitors, but only the monitor at the end of the aisle. So everybody had to watch the same program. And the program the airline selected for us was a half-hour documentary on how to optimize a shampoo refill bottle. It wasn't even a shampoo bottle, but kind of just a <laughs> refill pack for half an hour. So they went on and on how to fold it so you get the most material out, how to design the opening so uh, most material actually goes out of the refill bottle into the actual shampoo bottle, how to design the opening so children don't actually drink from it. And for half an hour, it was in great detail about how to design a shampoo refill foil pack bottle. And if that would have happened in America or in Germany, I think people would be running to the plane screaming. But in <laughs> Japan, it's perfectly acceptable to go in such much, such much detail about manufacturing. So Japan has a lot of obsession for details and perfection in manufacturing. Mm -hmm. well, this, and is say, this is not to say that all companies actually do it. You can find messy companies in Japan too. But it's in average, it's more perfection or more drive towards perfection than I've seen in other countries. Well, and when you talk about, um, you know, Japanese companies where, where, where you can see things are messy, you know, I've had a chance to visit, uh, I think it's five different hospitals in Japan. And, you know, these hospitals were visiting them because they're practicing um, some combination of total quality management, which they've been doing you know, for 20 years, uh, some lean methods, uh, you know, Kaizen and continuous improvement. But, you know, I've still seen, uh, you know, cabinets outside of operating rooms that are just as piled full of supplies and just as disorganized as you might see in an American hospital before, you know, some lean 5S continuous improvement activity takes place. So, you know, one of my takeaways from visiting Japan not to be insulting to anybody you know, in these organizations, is that these organizations in general are not magically lean. It's something that people really have to put effort into. It's not the default state of being. Would, would, would you agree or say more about that? Well, healthcare or lean healthcare seems to be a little bit behind in development. We do lean manufacturing since like 50 to 70 years, depending on when you think it started. But lean healthcare is a much newer topic, so there's a lot of catching up to do. In terms of lean hospitals, the best one I know is the Toyota Memorial Hospital in Toyota City. Have you been to that one? Um, I, I, I have not, but um, you know, when I first visited in 2012, I, I was told, I mean, this was secondhand, that Toyota Memorial Hospital was not yet really using lean or TPS practices yet. But I believe 
and, and what I've heard, and, and tell me if I'm wrong or if you can elaborate on it, that that some of their efforts started more more like 2015. Possible. A number of Japanese uh, hospitals um, are working on the lean pass, and as a student of my mentor nicely described it, um, some of them take lean back from American hospitals, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. Virginia Medicine. Others take lean from Toyota or uh, Japanese automotive or manufacturing companies. And uh, again, others try to develop leans themselves. And it's a mixed level of results. The Toyota Memorial Hospital is doing very well. Uh, I've been to some other hospitals which were famous or at least claimed to be doing lean. And I was absolutely not impressed sometimes. And, and so what, what, when you say you're not impressed, what do you see or not see that, that leads to that conclusion? Well, um, when I lived in Japan for five years, I had the unfortunate uh, necessity to spend a few, uh, two weeks in a hospital too. So I know the insights of a Japanese average of the run of the mill hospital. And um, it's, for example, in terms of privacy, they're much far behind uh, what we are used to in America or Europe. And for example, the um, room where you meet the doctor is separated from the waiting room, maybe only with a curtain or so, so mm. everybody can hear everything. Yeah, and they, they might not have the private rooms that uh, people have come to expect, at least in the U.S. I don't know how the German hospitals are, are by, by comparison. Um, I mean, do, do you, have you also visited hospitals in, in Germany that have embraced lean? Uh, no, I have not yet been to lean hospitals in Germany and I'm um, not really sure which ones there are. Um, in Germany, the whole healthcare system is very much still influenced by the government and um, maybe same for America, governments are a little bit slower to adapt leans than other institutions. Mm. That's my subjective feeling. Yeah, and and so and, and I'd, I'd be curious to hear more coming back to Toyota Memorial Hospital yes. as as an example of some of you say that is doing really well. What what do you see, or or perhaps even not see when when you visit an organization that you would consider to be really good at lean? Well, um, my student, the student of my mentor, um, looked for example in great detail at the waiting times in the hospital, and. According to her, an average when you get in the hospital within two minutes, uh, you're with somebody who gives you a form to fill out, and within 10 or 15 minutes, you're actually at the doctor. And uh, it's a very organized waiting. It's very short waiting times. It's very well visualized. Um, if you watch all the staff at the reception or doctors, everything, it seems to have a very high level of routine and well managed. Whereas if you go to other hospitals, uh, staff and doctors are running around much more, but seem to be achieving less. And mm -hmm. so waiting time are much more significant and waits of multiple hours is quite possible. Um, that student observed one uh, person waiting for half an hour in one room and then she figured out it was the wrong room to wait. So she went somewhere else to wait some more. Um, and all of that is much better organized at the Toyota Memorial Hospital. And you know, I think it's interesting when you mentioned, you know, the Japanese hospitals taking different approaches to uh, learning lean or, you know, trying to figure out how, how much are they emulating others or just trying to figure it out themselves. You know, I've heard stories, you know, in a previous trip of, uh, you know, how um, you know, hospitals in, in Seattle um, will go to Japan 
visit factories and, and, and very intentionally not visit any Japanese hospitals because they say they want to see the best lean organizations and not be distracted by the familiar hospital uh, environment and practices that might be tempted um, to look at. And then, um, as you said, some of the Japanese hospitals that even with, you know, with Toyota, uh, you know, very close by end up flying to Seattle because they said, well, you know, patients are not cars. We want to learn from a healthcare organization. And I think it's yeah. interesting to see those different. Uh, well, I was lucky enough not to have uh, been forced into an American hospital. I couldn't afford it to begin with, but that's a different thing. But um, right. from my limited knowledge about lean healthcare, I believe that with lean healthcare, the best hospitals are found in America, which probably is also at least partially thanks to your work. And that if you want to have an excellent lean healthcare hospital, I think America would be the first place to stop. And, and, and it seems like these ideas just keep flying back and forth across the, the Pacific Ocean and sometimes across the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. There's, a lot of, there's a lot of good work uh, taking place uh, in, in Europe, and I've had a chance to visit um, hospitals in a couple of countries, not Germany, so maybe we can arrange some sort of joint visit where, uh, where we can visit some German hospitals together. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to, to use some time here to talk about um, you know what you blogged about and what you call your grand tour of Japanese automotive plants. Uh, oh, yeah. Was was that the the more recent? Um, did you say it was six months, or can you talk about that that tour and and how that came to be? Yes, um, I'm currently a professor, and as a professor, every now and then I can take half a year off at full salary to do research and. I did this last winter and spent five months to Japan. I visited my mentor, my former boss from Toyota, which is now also a professor at Keio University. And I spent five months with him. And I was looking at all kinds of things related to lean. I visited almost 50 different factories, most of them from the automotive branch, not only, but most of them from the automotive branch. And I was able to visit at least one factory of every one of the seven major automotive companies, Toyota, Mitsubishi, Mazda, Honda, Nissan, Suzuki, and Subaru. Um, at each of them, I was at least in one plant and was doing um, some research, some comparison, both qualitative and quantitative, to see how they behave different, how they feel different, and there are actually quite some differences with the various um, automotive companies. Toyota is uh, one of the best or the best, but it's um, not all uh, automotive companies in Japan are on the level of Toyota. Yeah, and, and, and there's a really you know, interesting compare and, and contrast exercise that you go through in the blog posts. And, you know, I'd like, you know, I think we can touch on some of those highlights here today, but you know, one, one thing I'm curious about, you know, and, and you mentioned in the blog posts that only, uh, well, that, you know, that some of them, the factories offer uh, public tours, but only Toyota and Mazda offer them uh, in English. Um, I, I've only yes. been to, to two, uh, I've made two separate visits to two different um, Toyota plants. So I guess four plant mm -hmm. tours uh, in general. And, and those were essentially the public tour. Did, did you get, um, access beyond that thanks to your previous employment or through pro, uh, Professor Nakano or I'm, I'm curious how much. It, like, it was a mix of both. It was a mix of both. 
Um, I did a lot of those public tours, but I also had some deeper insights. I spent um, some more time, for example, in Gifu Auto Body, which is part of the Toyota Group. And through my professor and some other professors, I also went uh, for a longer tour to the Honda plant. So um, it was a mixture of both. But uh, probably the majority of my visits was uh, those typical uh, tourist visits. And it takes a lot of focus to actually see and measure, but it is possible to take measurements just while walking through the plant and doing some quick observations. You count, do some counting, you do some time measurements. So it is quite possible to get valuable data from such short visits. And well, only Mazda and Toyota offer plans in tours in English, but luckily I speak some very rudimentary Japanese, which um, allowed me to apply and get in for some of those other tours. Because as I said earlier, Japan is very much focused on manufacturing and pretty much every plant offers some sort of plant tour for school children, for visitors, for the general public, but mostly only in Japanese. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so if, if you can talk a little bit about some of that measurement, because in the blog post about the different auto assembly plants, you um, had some measurement around employee productivity and, and made yes. some comparisons. So can, can you talk a little bit more about that observation? And I think it was you know, a percentage of time where it appeared employees were doing value added work or doing any work. Can you, can you elaborate yes. on that? Yes. Um, well, I wanted to find out what percentage of the time people are adding value. And I'm sure you know the distinction between waste and value add. So what percentage of the time was I actually working at the part, at the machine, at the car? And I did a very simple trick. It's not ultra precise, but it's, it's quick and dirty and good enough. I just counted heads. Whenever I saw somebody, at that moment, I checked, is he doing value-adding work, which for me was having his hand on the car somewhere, or is he doing some transport, waiting, walking, uh, anything else but actually working on the car. And so I started just a list of, of counting how many people the moment I saw were value adding and how many people the moment I saw were not value adding. And it's perfectly fine to look at the same person two or three times and with some intervals in between. But at the end you get a result like um, you had 27 people seen which were adding value and you had uh, 35 people seen which were not value uh, adding values the moment you looked at them and based on that you can get an estimation of the percentage where people are actually adding value as i said before it's not ultra precise and it has some weaknesses for example if he's working on the car i'm not sure if he's adding value or if he's just fixing a problem from somebody else sure uh, it is uh, rough over the sum it's a good estimate and i do trust it much more than any official numbers from companies which have all different kinds of uh, assumptions and baselines and other funny things going on. So you can't really compare them anyway. Yeah. And you, you, know, is, you wrote in the blog post, you determined that uh, not just Toyota, but that Nissan had the highest productivity and, and your estimate showed Nissan was a little bit higher and, and there was a good gap um, between the other automakers, uh, I mean, what, what are some of the, the practices that you might um, attribute that productivity difference to? 
I was very surprised by Nissan too. Coming from Toyota, I saw Toyota is the best, but Nissan was actually a, a small notch better than Toyota. Also with the accuracy, it's not too much of a difference, but I was very surprised by the quality of Nissan. Um, it's hard to determine what exactly the reason is, but there was another measurement I took, or basically I asked for the numbers, which seems which strongly correlates with the performance on the shop floor. And that was the number of supervisors or the number of team members for one supervisor. For Toyota and Nissan, there were like three, four or five people for one uh, uh, first level supervisor. Whereas at other companies, it's like 10, 15 mm -hmm. or more people which were managed by one supervisor. And it seems that the more, the less people a supervisor manages, the closer he can pay attention the more he can actually work on improvement. So that seemed to be quite a significant difference. Currently, it's only a correlation and I cannot prove causation, mm -hmm. but I do believe that there must be some sort of relation between those two. That um, having a, a smaller circle of uh, employees for the first team leader leads to a better performance of those employees. Yeah. and And... Yeah, I think it's interesting you explored that in the post, looking at the, the ratio of uh, team members to team leaders or, you know, frontline employees to frontline supervisors. And I mean, to a lot of people, it might seem really counterintuitive to say, well, if you've got uh, more supervisors per employee, that sounds really inefficient. But it's a matter of it's a matter of what those supervisors are doing. As you write in the blog post, and maybe you have some stories or comparisons to share. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're responding to and on cords, uh, poles and signals and, 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 yeah. and helping they're, they're, they're not just administrative, uh, overhead or waste by any means. Right. Yeah. It's interesting part is that I included so supervisors in the headcount for my efficiency. So if you have like an 80% efficiency, like the, some of the top Toyota plants, it means the supervisor is also working on the line a lot. So um, it's not that the supervisor is just standing by, but he's spending a lot of time working, helping, fixing, improving, and but also working on the car to relieve the workers. For example, if one worker needs to go to the toilet, the supervisor steps in and um, takes over the job while the other person is on the back break. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I... Oh, go in ahead. some companies, Sorry. it's possible to see who is the supervisor. They have some different clothing or different pattern or kind of a golden uh, brocade at their cap, but it's not always clear who is the supervisor. And when, when I was in uh, Japan most recently, um, you know, the one thing that's nice about the uh, Toyota plant tour was that we were up on a catwalk. So as an industrial engineer, you know, when I worked at General Motors, I spent a lot of time up in the catwalk and, you know, you can really observe flow and, you know, observe work and then get back down directly, you know, to the Gemba to engage with people, of course. But, you know, we had the opportunity to, to stand and really watch multiple cycles of work um, in, in some areas, which is different than the tour in Texas where they're driving you through in a cart and, and you often, you know, you, you, you don't stop much. But what, what I saw, you know, in the sub-assembly area was 
you know, somebody uh, dropped a bolt or dropped some bolts and they pulled the and on cord and with seconds, um, within seconds, the team leader was there and they jumped in and they helped them catch up. And, you know, you could see everything that you would expect, um, you know, in a, a Toyota plant or a lean environment. Yes. And then, you know, I was surprised to read some of your comparative um, notes that not every auto assembly plant in Japan has and on cords. That, that, that was surprising to me. Not everybody even seems to have Kanban. That's that's surprising too. Yeah. Some of my tours were also on a catwalk, but sometimes I had the tours directly on the shop floor. And if you're on the shop floor, you can look closer at the boxes of material and see the labeling and uh, what's written on the box. And there were some companies where it was awfully little written on the box and it's, they even said they're not using Kanban which was a bit of a surprise, even a shock for me. Yeah, and are, I mean, are they, are, they, are they just ordering based off of schedule? Is it essentially an MRP system, I wonder? Good question. I'm not exactly sure. Um, that particular tour, we did not go into much detail about how the ordering process works, but um, just walked through the factory. But it seems not all companies are using Kanban, which I found very surprising. Now, you know, you've been through all these um, Japanese plants. Um, have you also visited German automakers or, or plants in North America to sort of um, compare and contrast? I've visited a few German automakers. I have not yet visited plants in America. So the Grand Tour of American Automotive is still outstanding. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I've seen a few plants in Germany and the efficiency seems to be comparable to an average Japanese plant besides Toyota and Nissan. So um, at Toyota and Nissan, the average was like 70 and the peak was like 80 or 80, 85% value add. So best plants of, Toy of Toyota, 85% of the time the worker is adding value. Whereas in many other plants, um, other companies, it was only around 50% or even 45% or sometimes mm -hmm. even less. And German car makers, the few I've visited, also seem to be more around 50 percentage of value added time. Okay. Um, so maybe let's, let's step back from, um, you know, the factory side a little bit and, you know, you, you have experience uh, at Toyota and in one of the blog posts, um, you, you were writing about uh, Akio Toyota, who of, of course uh, you know, mm -hmm. is a family member. He's been um, CEO for maybe almost 10 years. Now, yes. um, you, you know, and, and you said you, you were afraid that he was, um, I think you used the word uh, destroying um, the Toyota culture. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm worried about that one. What, um, what, what, what worries you? Well, as you said, he's a family member and Toyota is currently or is, seems to be pushing very hard for family members or also in creating history, even sometimes a little bit twisting the history so the family member looks better. And if you read official Toyota biographies or Toyota histories, important people like Taichi Ono only get a passing mention. Mm. But um, with the current CEO, Akio Toyota, I've heard a lot of very mixed results. Uh, some people like him. Some people say he, it's good the way he shakes the system. But I've heard much, much more negative results or reports about him that he seems to have difficulty handling disagreement 
And if you disagree with him, then as a on a top level management, then your career is pretty much over. And um, mm. of course, since people notice this very quickly, you get nobody disagreeing with him. So it's, it's a culture of yes man. I'm sure you know a few companies in America where you can find that too. That but, that happens that, in hospitals, unfortunately, and that's a, a really harmful yes. dynamic. But anyway, yeah, it happens also in Germany. But it, it's a not good development. One thing which I thought was so great at Toyota was that uh, the ability of people from the bottom to voice their concerns. You kind of have a different opinion. Not always was it accepted, but it was, at least in the past, it was always heard. And this is, seems to be changing with Toyota, Toyota Motor, in quite some time. And hmm. for example, one contact I have works regularly making projects with different companies in the Toyota group. And if he goes to Toyota Motor and proposes a project, if the middle manager believes the bus boss doesn't like it, he won't even ask. He won't even ask his boss if he should do the project if he believes he doesn't like it. Some other Toyota subsidiaries or Toyota group companies it's a little bit better if the middle manager believes it doesn't work. He tells my contact, well, I think it won't, or, uh, I think my boss will disagree, but I'll ask him anyway. And if he says, no, we'll wait three years and then we'll do it. <laughs> After he's kind of uh, changed positions, then we'll do it. Hmm. And the best culture is still at Denso, where uh, at Denso, if, he pro if my contact proposes a project with Denso middle management, they may say, well, I, did, uh, I think my boss will disagree, but don't worry, I can convince him otherwise. So it's a very different culture. Or I was talking with a manager from Denso, and uh, we, we came to the topic about information sharing across companies. And he said it's important, and that there are many companies he shares information with, but he also mentioned that some companies, they only give what they have to give because they don't trust them very much. Whereas other companies, where there's a lot of trust, they're more freely in sharing information. And I asked him specifically about Toyota Motor. Denso is part of the Toyota Group. It's one of the big companies in the Toyota Group. But he said they are very hesitant to share information actually with Toyota Motor because there's not enough trust left anymore. Mm. And also, um, before in many companies in Toyota Group, it was common to switch around to spend three months in another company and kind of the engineers moved around and the people, the workers moved around, spent some time in this company, spent some time in this company while still being employed by one company of the Toyota group. And Denso no longer does this with Toyota. They don't want to send their people to Toyota because they're worried that they will uh, get a bad culture from Toyota. Hmm. So a lot of bad things I hear and it makes me worried because I really like Toyota. I like the Toyota culture, but I'm worried about a fundamental change or a change that is happening in the Toyota cultures that will be going to the worse. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that at all. Yeah. Because um, I mean, that, 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 that concerns me as well. And, and I wonder how my, some of those dynamics of, you know, hierarchy and people being afraid to speak up, um, sounds more like what you might call uh, a typical Japanese business from um, some, some of what I've read mm -hmm. and um, talked to people about. Um, so I, 
I don't I wonder where influences like that uh, would, would come from. Has, has Akio Toyota been with Toyota, the company, his, his entire career? Or did, I mean, I think he, he went out, um, I'd have to pull up his bio. I, I, I thought he um, had, did he get a, I'm trying to remember if he got an MBA in the United States. Um, yeah, it says he was at Babson College. I don't mean to rip Babson or MBAs in general. I have an MBA, you know, but and business schools tend to teach more of kind of like, well, here's how businesses typically are run uh, as, as, as opposed yeah. to lean, lean culture. I'm not quite sure where this comes from, where Akio had this, uh, got this culture. It may also be that um, since he is the flesh and blood of the Toyota founders, from the very beginning, he was kind of groomed to be a Toyota leader. And if you tell people that, oh, one day you will be a glorious leader or something, eventually it will get to their head. Mm -hmm. So that may be one effect. But I'm, I'm just speculating. I don't know for sure. sure. What I yeah, do and, know, and okay. what I think is very, or, or, well, companies sometimes change. And I think the surprising thing with Toyota is that they were able to keep their vision and direction for over 50 years or for almost 70 years where they're working towards lean and sets an exceptionally long period for a company to work in the same direction. Many other companies, the current vision don't even survive the next CEO. Mm -hmm. And, and, well, and that's, that's something that I've seen and heard about that happening in American hospitals that even after, you know, 13 or 15 years down a lean path with two CEOs that, um, you know, an outsider CEO can come in and really dramatically, uh, you know, change direction. Um, but, you know, um, when, I, when I was in uh, Japan, most recently, I was there with some former Toyota, uh, you know, what they call HRD, human resource development leaders. And, and one of them yeah. from Australia was, was, was quite complimentary of Akio Toyota because, um, uh, you know, Toyota, like every other automaker now, has uh, stopped doing auto assembly in uh, Japan. I believe Toyota was the last one uh, to shut down. They're going to import cars. You know, with the other automakers leaving, the supply base in Australia was uh, it was was decimated. And uh, you know, he he was talking about um, you know the the, the multiple trips that. Um, that Akio Toyota made to Australia as CEO. Um, you know, he spent a lot of time um, talking with workers and was 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 good with people on the shop floor. Um, yeah. He's not all bad. Some people do have a good opinion of him. Some people like his view, and some people believe you need a leader which is willing to rock the boat to get things going. So um, it's not uh, across the board a negative view. But uh, I've heard much more negative things than what I would want to hear. But I also heard positive things that in some cases um, he did the right decision and um, is necessary. And um, for example, one person praised me for, for the way he handled the problems they had a few years back with the brake pedal in America, where they, uh, he had to uh, present to the Congress, I believe it was, or Senate. Yeah, this was, uh, this was with uh, accelerator pedals and throttles and yes. floor mats and... and exactly. Yeah. And I've been told he managed this rather well. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
you know, there's a lot of, uh, so th thank you for sharing the, the, those perspectives and, and what people are telling you. And, you know, I would encourage people, uh, you know, there, there's, there's many blog posts. There's a lot to dig into. Um, one other I was going to ask you about before uh, moving on from the factory discussions. Um, you, you were also, so you, you praised Nissan, which you know, when I was at General Motors in 1995 to 1997, one of the outsiders that General Motors had hired to, to try to implement some lean practices and coach, try to coach leaders was uh, from Nissan in Tennessee. And, and, and he was really good and, and taught me a lot, at least at that point. So basically Nissan, they, they wouldn't want to call it Toyota production system, but you know, of course not. Their, their version of it, that's where the, the word lean is, is helpful, I guess. But you, you are also very uh, complimentary uh, about uh, Suzuki. And you said there, there was, if I remember right, there was a Denso connection um, at, at, at mm -hmm. Suzuki. Can, can you share a little bit about them? Um, normally in Japanese companies, you do not change companies. If you are hired for one company after university or after high school or whatever, you stay with this company for life. And changing company often would mean to start at the very bottom again, so it would make no sense financially or otherwise. So there's little exchange by employees moving between companies, which we have much more in Europe and America. So it's more exchange through official corporations where Toyota bought 12% of Mazda, for example, um, or through their suppliers. And one exception is Suzuki because it's located close headquarters is located close to Toyota headquarter. They do share a lot of the suppliers. And I've been told the Suzuki CEO worked for Denso when he was younger. So that does, did seem to be some exchange between Suzuki and Toyota. And, and by comparison, I'm just looking at some of the notes, things I copied and pasted from the blog post, uh, Subaru, in comparison to Suzuki, you, you, you talked about how they... Um, not only don't have an and on cord, but uh, sound like it was quite a bureaucratic process to even try to stop the line if if there was a problem, which I guess goes to show that um, not not all automakers, even in Japan, are yes. doing things the same way as Toyota. The plant which shocked me the most was actually the Honda plant, because Honda has a good reputation for quality and also for cost. But uh, visiting the Honda plant was very, very different from what I expected. It was not overly clean. It was disorganized. It was little ergonomics. There was no visualization. Um, when the welding line stopped for a problem, we looked around for 10 minutes and couldn't figure out where the problem was or which, which machine. There was no blinking light or anything. Mm -hmm. I saw people walking through the factory carrying heavy boxes, very unergonomic. I saw people uh, bending over to pick up little screws from boxes on the floor. Um, the oldest material I found was uh, half a year old on the shop floor. So it's it's a lot of uh, strange things which I did not expect, especially since Honda has such a good reputation. Yeah. To its defense, I have to say it was the Honda Sayama plant, and that's uh, scheduled to be closed in 2020. And if you close a plant, you're not going to invest much more effort in it, obviously. But the mess I've seen was not only from the last few years. It was a long-term developed um, mess. So that was very surprising. And it's not Honda-specific because I went to another Honda plant in Kumamoto, which makes motorbikes, 
And so they're much better organized, much cleaner, much more structured visualization, ergonomics. So even within the company, from the automotive branch to the motorbike branch in Honda, there was a big difference. Um, well, uh, I, I want to thank you for you know putting so much time into the blog posts, which you know encourage people to go uh, find those on on Christoph's blog, allaboutlean.com. There's a lot of really uh, other interesting stuff there. And and before thank I wrap you. up, Christoph, yeah, um, can you talk a little bit about uh, the the book that you wrote and had published, uh, Faster, Better, Cheaper. In the history of manufacturing, from the Stone Age to lean manufacturing and and beyond, um, I always like to ask people, you know, what what was the inspiration uh, for for writing the book, and and how would you summarize it? Oh yes, well, I'm very interested in lean, and I'm also in, in interested in development and history, how it all came together. So it it started out as a pet project. I just started writing because I liked the topic about how all that came together, how. Um, manufacturing evolved through the ages. And with manufacturing, I don't mean the technological side, a little bit of that, of course, too, but a focus is on the organization side. How do we humans organize our work? How do we structure our work to become faster, better, and cheaper? And the very first chapters in my book go back quite a bit, uh, two and a half million years, where uh, already there seemed to be some division of labor that they had uh, for the manufacturing of stone tools. That's one area where they're making new tools, another area where they're resharpening old stone tools. And so stones were from mountains 10 kilometers away, so probably said another person carrying stuff around. So it seemed to be first uh, indication of division of labor. And of course, much more detail later on, um, um, I go when I go through the last uh, few hundred years, there's Henry Ford, there's a, there's a factory system, um, there are computers, and of course, a lot about Toyota. Um, and I just try to connect the dots, try to create a story, and I try to paint it in vivid pictures. I try to make it visible, and I try to focus on the human side of this development. What are the people, what did they do on the good side and on the bad side? I have lots of positive stories where people came together to build things. I also had negative stories where people uh, came together to have visions and it ended all, up all in chaos. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to learn from history for the future. I'm trying to see what can we learn from the last hundreds or thousands of years which will help us to prepare for the future to become even faster, better, and cheaper than we are now. And I really enjoyed writing this book. And it's not a technically detailed book, but it's uh, written for the layman to be easy to read. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, for for readers, uh, list well for listeners and potential readers um, in in the U.S., the book is is definitely available uh, on Amazon, uh, hardcover and Kindle. It's published by. Uh, CRC Press, which was um, and Productivity Press, which is the publisher of my first books, Lean Hospitals and Healthcare Kaizen, and uh, it's probably I'm sure it's available in other countries around the world. So, um, we encourage people to check that out. Uh, I'm going to go check it out, and uh, maybe maybe we can talk more about the book and your other um, adventures and, and teaching and observations in, in another podcast sometime, Christoph. Would love to. 
Well, thank you. Um, thank you again for, uh, for being a guest. And uh, it's great, great to be able to meet you and uh, have a chance to talk today. Pleasure was mine. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.